Alrighty, everyone, we're back with another interview series on the ferment. I'm here with KB in Studio One. How are you, KB? Good, very good to be here in Studio One in spring. I know, I was thinking this exact same thing on the way out where I was looking at my car going 20 degrees. This is not usual. (laughs) The way I uh, speak about the 2020 winter, it was the shortest yet longest winter I've ever had. The fact that I normally spend my winter maybe putting some skis on, enjoying the snow, maybe going down to Melbourne, enjoying some cosy bars, some great restaurants, no, none. done none. <laughs> just just drank the cellar dry. <laughs> <laughs> well, um, Kelvin and his team probably know how much I've drunk. <laughs> I, my car seems to be parked outside Shed 5 very often. <laughs> and, and the front wheels aren't touching the ground. <laughs> Uh, very, very good. So we're here, as I said, in Studio One, and we're very, very excited to have Calvin McInnes with us today. How are you, Calvin? I'm well, thanks, Harry. How have things been going for you? Have you been working from home or are you in the office? No, uh, pretty much ticking along as normal in the warehouse, packaging and pretty much operations on site. We've yep. been really lucky to just keep going, I suppose. It doesn't sound very romantic for us, but <laughs> considering the climate, we're very, very happy to be going along. Here. Yeah, absolutely. And we were talking just a little bit before we got started. Things are really ramping up at the moment. Yeah, about to head into three shifts, which is really strange for this time of year, but we were hoping to have the new facility up. So we've been lucky enough to have our contractor, contract bottlers sort of get back on side and we've been able to get Prosecco and everything still ticking along. So fingers crossed we can uh, keep the wine flowing to all the people out there. So. Keep filling my boot. <laughs> <laughs> keep filling Catherine's feet, exactly. So we've got Calvin McInnes here who has been with us for 15 years and very much firmly entrenched in the operations team. Calvin started his Brown Family Wine Group journey back in 2005 as a casual during vintage, then in 2006 became a permanent seller hand working under Jeff Simpson, made the move to the warehouse in 2008 as warehouse supervisor and then warehouse manager in 2014 and that same year the title was changed to your current position of warehouse and dispatch manager so it's brilliant to have you with us Calvin we're so excited to get to interview you today we're still in stage three restrictions in Victoria so how's this playing out with your team uh yeah I've got a great team as I said we've been really lucky to for everyone else the upheaval's been pretty full-on working home all those sorts of things but we've been really lucky pretty much ticking along it was sort of tough to start certainly the first lockdown losing that casual support and a few of those other things or holidays and all those sorts of things were put on hold and there was a bit of the unknown going on, but as I alluded to earlier, it's been we've found ourselves to be pretty fortunate to just keep going. So people are still buying, which is fantastic. KB's boots getting filled, <laughs> yeah, and the team have just been fantastic. I really got a great team. They've been here a long time and able to adjust pretty well. It was difficult to start. There was a few challenges with some of the some of the staff, but no, they've been great. So yeah, we're we're very happy and everyone's everyone's sort of adjusted well. Now, Kelvin, you've told us that you're. A bit of a private person, you don't love talking about yourself, but we do want to know a little bit more about you. Can you tell us a bit about your early life, where you grew up? Uh, yeah, I've got I've got a cheat sheet here. KB and Harry was kind enough to provide me with some questions, so just to let everyone know at home, I'm looking down here. Um, <laughs> I'm getting old now. Born at Box Hill Hospital, so same as my daughter. We lived in Ringwood when we were very young kids. Went to Mullum Primary School. Had my mother as a teacher at one stage. We moved from there, sort of about grade one or grade two. We moved up to the northeast. I've lived in uh, Markwood, next to the 
school at Markwood. I've lived in a Miller schoolhouse at one stage. You probably didn't know that. I <laughs> uh, lived at Hansonville at a greeter and also the South Wang Primary, which is no longer there, and then sort of on through to high school. But, yeah, we had a, we had a great time as kids living next to the school and school houses. We had the key to the PE shed, so we, <laughs> I've got two older brothers. We were able to drag those out and um, do some front and back flips off the, the roof. I'm not sure how I didn't end up with a lot of broken arms, but, yeah, we had a great time. Fantastic. <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> what was the motivation for your family to move to the northeast? Uh, look, it's a good question. We're probably, we're probably here a... Uh, guess a year or two and my mother and father actually split up then so probably not great for them but uh, I think a blessing for us we were me and the, my brothers were pretty happy to be here and met some super people yeah I, I can't honestly say I remember KB why, why they moved up but yeah we're, we're forever grateful yeah what what did your mum teach they're both primary school teachers yep. so if I speak to some people like they're <laughs> no, if I speak to some people like they're six-year-olds, it comes from mother and father. So. That might work well for Harry and I. Yeah, yeah no, no, no. Some condescending looks coming our way if you haven't sort of got that vibe. Oh, everyone. I'm looking down my glasses now. <laughs> yeah, they're both primary school teachers and they just absolutely loved it. My mum's ended up moving to Queensland. She came back. It was great for holidays up there, Gold Coast as young kids. Dad's always sort of taught around this region. I think it was Oxley, you know, all these other schools, principal a lot of times they both absolutely love teaching kids and they just said they love this spark in the eye and you know just incredibly patient people and poor father having to put up with three teenage boys you know you have to be patient I can assure you <laughs> we were absolute nightmares and I was thinking some of these stories when I was looking at these questions going, oh my golly you know, <laughs> I, I hope my kids aren't anything like that <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so high school did you go to high school in Wangaratta yeah Wang High School managed to Finish year 12 and scrape through HSC. I think I passed by about one or two marks. And yeah, yeah. I was <laughs> all you need. I, I was <laughs> as, su- as surprised as anyone. I think I left early on just about every exam. I studied about, you know, two hours for the whole lot. So to say I was undercommitted is uh, <laughs> even understatement. <so laughs> yeah, very glad I passed. Yeah. Hey, we all know that you're pretty active. We see you on your bike. We hear about you running marathons and you're usually the first person to get people involved in activities and sport around uh, the Millowa site. Did you always have such a big interest in sport? Not massively. Look, I've always loved to move and sports and activities. Again, brothers and lots of space and we didn't have, obviously didn't have Nintendos and all that sort of stuff as kids and Nintendo's PlayStation 4 these days. So we were always out and about, you know, learning how to spin the basketball on your finger or, you know, kicking each other or on the BMXs, jumping over things or climbing on roofs and jumping off things and kicking the footy on the road and basically being real pests in the, in the sort of neighbourhood. So, yeah, we just always – we're always busy. So didn't play a great deal of sport. I played football for a year. I love telling that story. If you could have played football for one year when I was about 17 and we won the premiership, so I you know, put the cue <laughs> back in the rack rate. and thought, yeah. that's it, I'm, I'm not doing it anymore. I wasn't, I'm much more of a – I guess I'm my, my biggest competitor is myself. I like to sort of push myself and try lots of new things all the time and, look, yeah, move it or lose it, I guess, I guess you could say, yeah. So I always just love trying new things and moving around, yeah. We've got something in common. I also won one premiership. 
but I've played for about 20 years. <laughs> Persistence. Yeah, Persistence pays off. And I'm sitting here with two uh, pretty good runners, Harry Marathoner included, so I just want to clarify, I run marathons, I've run 1KB. Uh, I pulled up pretty poorly at 32Ks with lots of cramp and walked the rest of the way. So I have finished one, but I didn't run a full one, so I'll take a marathon run. That's a goal to aim for, maybe. <laughs> yeah, I think so, yeah. 2021. They're not, it's, and it's that time frame, that 32 kilometre mark where yeah. everyone hits the wall, especially on your first one. Yeah, yeah. I, I walked a lot of that last, you know, 8, 10 k's for sure too. It was quite funny, Harry. I tried to uh, I sort of walk the last 8 k's at a pretty good pace, but I just could not get a run up. I had these hamstring and side cramps and I thought for the last 10 metres there's a few people there, so I sort of get on my toes and I'll, I'll trot in in case there's a photo, you know. So I've trotted, start to trot in and cramp again. I ended up sort of crossing the line, dragging me back. <laughs> Is there a good photo of that? It's, it's, it's not a very nice photo. <laughs> As a kid, being one of three boys, I'm guessing the household was pretty competitive. Yeah, yeah, we were always wrestling. And as I said, the, my father was just, must have been incredibly patient, although he did occasionally lose, a, <laughs> lose his stuff. But yeah, we. We were always wrestling, we were always pushing each other around and in pretty good spirits up until about 12, 13 when the older brother sort of developed friends elsewhere and girls came on the scene. So, yeah, the, the big shift in how we all sort of interacted. But, uh, yeah, we, we were very competitive probably still are. Probably a reason why we're all still pretty active. Yeah, the girls come along and the competition changes to a whole other competition. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, Kelvin, you mentioned you just scraped through at high school. Did you have aspirations to go on to any study or did you call it quits at that stage? I actually filled out the preferences for uni and I, I wasn't overly enamoured with any of the schooling, really. As I said, I wasn't overly committed. I, I just didn't have that you know, foresight like I do now, You know, looking to the long term perhaps. But I'm actually one eighth a nurse. I went to – I did six months at uh, – it was – what was it called – Philip Institute, which is, I think it's La Trobe now out near Mill Park, Bandura there. I think we're doing about 38 hours a week of in-class lecture time. And, yeah, look, that was more than what I was doing in HSC. So yeah. I just thought, bugger this. So after six months, uh, come back to Wang and, yeah, just, just settled in there. As far as other aspirations, teaching, things like that. As I said, family of teachers, mum, dad, granddad was a teacher as well. So I've always sort of liked the idea of teaching, but, again, I don't think I've got the patience for a primary school teacher. Two kids was enough, thanks very much. <laughs> Architecture, landscape, garden, all these sort of things. Firemen have all sort of passed them on, but there's nothing that's really sort of stood out. Introducing Brown Brothers Prosecco Premium Brut, the new pinnacle of our well-loved and celebrated Prosecco range. Prosecco is the perfect beverage for relaxed social occasions, picnics with friends, or the great beginning of a night in. Our new Premium Brut is a single vineyard expression crafted from our very best fruit and made to be the Prosecco for those special moments. Not only is it a beautiful wine, but it also features an elegant pack design to fit the occasion perfectly. Prosecco Premium Brut has a vibrant pale lemon colour with aromas of Granny Smith apples and lemon zest on the nose. Slightly drier than our best-selling Prosecco NV, the number one Australian sparkling wine, Premium Brut is crisp, fresh and beautifully balanced with a fine, delicate bubble that fills the palate. It's the perfect celebratory aperitif. Or try it with your favourite seafood. And what about your work career? What was your very first job? Uh, first job... Depends how far back we want to go. I guess the first little job I had would have been as a paperboy. 
It was pretty funny, actually. We lived over the, the south side of Wang, so over near the, the tavern there, uh, if anyone knows where I am. So I used to ride up to Edgar's news agency in the middle of Wang, sometimes in the middle of winter, about minus three as a little boy <laughs> at about 5 a.m. in the morning, and young, young lads don't like to get out of bed too early, so that was a struggle. Used to go all the way to the other side of Wang, all the way back up the street and all the way back, and then ride to high school and back. So back in the days without mum and dad and the, the school bus taking us anywhere, I reckon it'd be 30 to 40 k's a day wow. pre- pretty easily. <laughs> and you just did it just for fun. You yeah. didn't know anything else. So yep. it was just a, a great time, you know. You'd go to Kmart on the way back and you get a cheap bottle of soft drink or something like that and have a bit of fun. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say, what, <laughs> what was the paycheck back there for a paper boy? It was about, I, I do remember this actually, it was about $18 we ended up pocketing for, I guess, two hours of morning slave labour every morning <laughs> for five days a week. And if everyone remembers, or oh, not everyone will, but the Saturday age was just ginormous. Oh, yeah. And and we just used to load up our bikes, with, had the handlebars, the wide handlebars with a bar and it, it had to be about 40 kilos, I reckon, and you go down the underpass and back up and freezing cold mornings and you go, good Lord, <laughs> what am I doing? You, you try to pick one of these Saturday ages out and deliver it in the mailbox. You, you needed two hands. So, so 40 kilometres <laughs> with 40 kilograms oh, on the bike. It was full on. Yeah, <laughs> That's yeah. a marathon on its own. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so, Kelvin, um, your first job from Paperboy, what, what sort of was your work career leading up to joining us at Brown Family Wine Group? I'll, I'll read out my blurb here, um, <laughs> that, that what I've put down. It's pretty brief, but uh, you can ask me anything within it. So the first full-time, full-time job that I had for a year was in the finishing department at Bruck, and there'd be a lot of... We have two things in common. Really? That yeah. was my first job out, out of school. Yeah, well, yeah, where, where did you work? Finishing department? Finishing too? department? Yeah. yeah. Well, I was in, uh, it was called inspection before finish. Uh, IBC, whatever it was, IB, yeah, I, something IBF. Like IBF. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, okay. So well, we, we looked at the product just before you did. You were the, the keener eye than we were. Yeah. <laughs> I wouldn't we, go that far. <laughs> we, we, we watched these large spools of uh, textiles just being wrapped onto these massive yeah. machines. Wheels, and yeah. Be, yeah, yeah, wheels, yeah. and it being one tonne. And I used to stand there just for. Hours on end watching these rolls roll on, and, and that was my job. And yep. on concrete, it was yeah, what w- wasn't the best. The, having said that, the tea lady was magnificent. It was a absolutely huge stainless steel trolley with endless drawers and fresh sausage rolls and milks yeah. and everything. It was I fantastic. Think I used to get the coffee scroll, coffee scroll, coffee scroll off the off the tea lady. <laughs> <laughs> And there was a few others from uh, Brown Family Wine Group, I think Jack and a few others who worked at Bruck, Jeff Scalzo. So, uh, yeah, so I did that for a year and I thought, no, this is this is not ideal. Um, from there I've sort of picked blueberries in Moyu, pineapples at Yapoon. I travelled up the up the coast to ended up in Cairns there. Um, Salomon Barman Kitchen Hand amongst a few in Sydney. Been a bartender in Kew, concreters labourer in Altona, landscaper in Lilydale. And probably the last job I had before I moved back to Wang from Melbourne uh, would have been a luxury rug hand tufter. So that's quite quite a mouthful. So a, a, a what? <laughs> a luxury rug hand tufter. So we we hand tufted, hand woven with these machines. Oh, massive luxury rugs. You know, five hundred dollars a meter or twenty years ago. So we did things like Solomon Lou's yacht and plane and all these other places and all these they're just amazing rugs took a lot a lot of time to do them but you know threaded with silks and leathers and all sorts of oh, designer wow. features so they had a design team and everyone else so yeah really interesting i'm sure there's not many people out there that can put that on their cv 
Yeah, yeah. I'll, I'll have to dig one of the, the old pamphlets. I don't think the company's around. Custom where they used to be called, had a shop in Annandale, I think it was, Turak or somewhere there. Uh, and they just had yeah, some pretty exclusive clients and they'd, they'd come in and we'd be slaving away doing them, but you know, participating in that sort of de- design process was really, really good fun, you know. And how did you hear about the job going here at, at Brown Brothers, now Brown Family Wine Group? Oh, there's only one source of truth in Wangaratta, Harry, and that's the Wangaratta Chronicle, <laughs> isn't it? The Chronic? <laughs> uh, yeah, so I saw that. I was doing some part-time work as a concrete labourer with some friends and also some uh, sort of casual work at New Fruit as a sort of leading picker there. And it came up. Ella would have been one and a half, two years old, and Marnie, my wife, was heavily pregnant with Henry. So I saw the job for a casual. I had a friend here, uh, Eddie, oh, Paddy Del Mastro, but also Eddie, Andrew Edwards, not here anymore. And he said, yeah, you should go for it. And so I, I probably got a good word in from both of those. So <laughs> I, I was very happy with that. And they couldn't get rid of me after that as well. Stuck in there deeper than an Alabama tick, as they say. <laughs> yeah, so I hung around for a little while after vintage. One of the ones I kept on, covered myself with hypo, other chemicals cleaning the joint down and one more interview with Fran and there I was. The, the Chronicle's looking a bit um, thin at the moment that there's no sport in Wangaratta. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> Not much there. No. So you've made your way through Salahand, warehouse supervisor and into a manager role. I'm sure over that time you've seen a lot. Have you got some good stories for us? Uh, look... I've, I've really enjoyed working with all the different people. Just been super, like some the lazy sort of sunny days in the winery, and we'll probably talk about a few of the funny stories. And when we say funny stories, it's probably incidents with me. <laughs> so I've had a few incidents where sort of wines cascaded over some of the big tanks, KV, some of the Chardonnay or something like that, or ferments reactivated if you like, because they're pumped in the wrong wrong way. I put some water on top of some some of Mark Scalzo's Tokay or something one one time. Probably a, a funny one I did have in the winery, it's, it's funny now, but we used to have the big staves we used to put in the 200s, I think they were, oh not the 200s, uh, Shed 7 tanks, the stainless steel tanks, big staves to help with that oaky flavours and you had to get them out some way or another so the idea was to someone jump in there and Paddy said, oh you know, and I was thought, ah oh, well I'll jump in there, I'll, I'll have a go, I'm always having a go so I've, I've jumped into the tank and it was supposed to be an extraction fan <laughs> to sort of suck out the uh, the air and the dust and, you know, all the little the, the stuff in the air. And anyway, the, the staves had been sitting there two weeks, so they weren't wet. We didn't hose them down. They weren't sort of watered down, so it was pretty dry and at that stage partially mouldy. <laughs> so we got them out and had trouble breathing it, wearing PPE, however, but had, had sort of trouble breathing. And by the end of it, I, I come out and I went home and, curled up into a little ball and went into some pretty impressive fevers and thought, <laughs> thought I was going to die. Um, one of my wife's friends said, yeah, that's, that's food poisoning. But uh, found out the next day it was farmer's lung. <laughs> I, I did turn up for work the next day and I got told to go home. I, I looked like an 80s pop idol at a drug overdose. So I had black uh, eyeline around my eyes and the guy said, oh, he doesn't look right. <laughs> so farmer's lung anyway, I went from a tank. But uh, whether that's funny or not, I don't know. Oh, that's a classic, yeah. The, 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 um, the idea now of getting into a tank's very, very different. Uh, yeah. To yeah. <laughs> the, the amount of uh, protocols you have to go through. Well, there was lots of them saying, are you all right, are you all right, often, so I sort of leaned back on that. <laughs> yeah, Old school yeah. origins, are you okay? Yeah, that's yeah. right. <laughs> Kelvin was the canary. <laughs> Throw the canary in and see if it, see if it keeps flying. <laughs> Sounds like he didn't fly. I didn't fly the next time, no. <laughs>
<laughs> now, reflecting on your current role, what are the key responsibilities you look after? Look, we're at service department is our core, so we work a lot of with a lot of other departments. Both of you too in the, the winery. You know, we have a lot of interactions with sampling, and obviously from winery and winery through to packaging, we help with components and things like that. I guess some of my key responsibilities are just making sure the team's equipped and they've got all the help they need, resource wise offering as much support and training as we can. We really sort of started to diversify our roles a couple of years ago with all the team, uh, which they took on board really well. Everyone, I think, at their prime likes to learn, so everyone sort of learnt some new roles and we're able to really shift quickly with the lockdown, which was sort of some good planning, I guess, in the end. Our core is a service department, so we try to help. As I said, we've got a lot of experience, so we try to help as many other departments. Sometimes we are the go-to for you know the new, new brand managers or sales team. They need to know where to go or need some help with some stuff. So we just try to help people as much as we can and get the product there on time, yeah. Tell them where to go as politely as you can. Well, <laughs> there is a process, Harry. Don't get me started on that. <laughs> Kelvin, can you just run us through who's in your team, just for our listeners? I'll say a personal thank you to all of them um, while we're doing that. So as I said, they're a fantastic team. So we've got Mark Downey, Jim McGinnis and Vincent Constantino in dispatch at the moment. So they handle all the containers and domestic freight out to Bev Chains and out to the, you know, China and abroad. So they're the dispatch team. We've got a materials team, which is all componentry. So Emma Stamp uh, leads that team. Anthony Cooch, Fabian Booth. I've got to get everyone here. Ian Wiley. Uh, then we've got MDD team. Sorry, Shane Ward. We've got Kevin coming there at the moment. I've got a couple of sort of permanent part-timers, Dave Rule, Lynn Allen, who's long-serving and been able to shuffle through a few teams. I was going to give you one of the fun facts, but I'll give it to you now. Between my team, we've got about 13. We've got 198 years, including me, 198 years of experience, and they're all 15-plus years' experience. Uh, To say a wealth of knowledge would be an understatement. Jim Jim leading the pack, um, I think he's 39 years this year. So, yeah, just full on these just amazing operators and whistling away doing the work for the most part. And, yeah, just they make it really easy to do my job most times. So, yeah, I'm, I'm pretty happy. It absolutely blows my mind when we have people working in this business longer than what I've been alive. Whoa. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. All, all great, you know, great people and great employees, yeah. Have you got some fun facts about the warehouse for us? Yeah, I sort of touched on that. I wouldn't say there's fun facts about the warehouse, but we uh, we, we tried to spruce it up a bit. <laughs> uh, I'll give you I'll give you some figures, perhaps, which might sort of give you an idea of the volumes we send out. Probably this time of year, right up till December, we would send out an average of about two thousand pallets of finished goods domestically per month. So about five hundred per week, and that's including export and sort of domestic stock. So five hundred a month is uh, sorry, five hundred a week's a lot think of a truck as about 34 pallets or 22 for a smaller truck so that's that's a hell of a lot of trucks we peak in November and I don't think that's going to change this year with the three shifts to about 2,800 for that month so the guys will just be at absolute full speed components in uh, so your bottles your labels and caps and things like that that's around 1,500 pallets per month across about 90 deliveries. So that's a that's a lot of moves, a lot of shifts, a lot of paperwork, a lot of data entry, and we've just got so many SKUs, which is fantastic. But it's yeah, really really complex, and which is why we sort of need a really good materials team and accountability team. So no, they do a great job. Health and wellbeing. This is something that you, Kelvin, and I are very passionate about. Can you tell the listeners a bit more about the committee and some of the initiatives we're working on? We got a lot more structure, I think, in the last couple of years. KB, it's it's been great. We've had support of the business. We've 
got a lot of things we've been doing sort of regularly. COVID's probably put a, a stop to a couple of things, but we've been able to continue to run Active April, probably a Victorian initiative, which we've you've helped roll out nationally this year, which was fantastic. Red for Red blood donation, so you you donate blood once a uh, once a month, sorry, and you get a bottle of red from the not quite right bin, if you like. Biggest morning tea we've done before. Wang Fun Run, we love and support. Are You OK Day, which is coming up, as you know. KB, you're a very passionate Blue Earth session. So they've been really good too, really great mindfulness sort of sessions. And we've done Movember in the past. Yeah, the health and wellbeing team, I, I guess, in a nutshell, these are people that are really passionate about it. And it's great when we reach out to the business and ask for some support and help and ideas. We get a lot of feedback. So it's, it's great to know people are listening and, and they're in support of it. Uh, which they are, and you know, ho- hopefully, as a health and wellbeing committee, we try to make as many of those sort of ideas and sort of dreams and you know, charities come alive as as well as we can. So, great support from everyone else wants to get going, but we love having all the support. So. And initiatives you've worked on, such as fruit in staff rooms, have gone really well. Yeah, they have, and that's something which it's not until you you've got that sort of overreaching sort of committee like H and W team spreads out a lot where you. We're having that discussion, I remember, and someone said, oh, we have, in Melbourne, we've got fruit and vegetable, or fruit all the time. And we were agog, we are like, oh, how lucky are they? Wouldn't that be great? And, you know, when you've got the committee to say, well, let's just make it happen, which, uh, thanks to you, KB, we, we sort of pushed that through, and um, Fran, and, yeah, everyone's got some fruit over there, which is just great. And as everyone knows, in out there listening, I'm, I love to eat and drink, but uh, it's, it's lovely to have some food around. <laughs> it's amazing to see how the the culture in our business has progressed with society. That it used to be about having beers on a Friday night as the sort of the the social gathering, but it's become more and more important to do these morning teas with gold coin donations to charity, doing run, like sort of our fun runs. Uh, doing things such as Active April, it's really exciting that you've been able to lead that. Yeah, well, look, I don't, I don't think I'll lead it so much as uh, I think the team helps to drive it. Yeah, I, I, look, I agree. The, the the culture for wellbeing as a whole has been fantastic and we were lucky enough to have Hugh from the Resilience Project and just, just to for, for speak people to speak about, you know, things like depression, anxiety and some struggles and things like that and to not be sort of frowned upon or, you know, oh, that you're a weak person... You know, I find those people incredibly brave and, you know, I wish I was half as brave to, to put my hand up, say, when I was struggling. So I encourage everyone else to do that. You know, that's why I really love the activity side of things. I really love that part for my mindfulness. I like to I like to get out. I love the early mornings. I get up about 4.30, quarter to five and get out in the dark. I'll take the dog for a walk. Yeah, Harry's raising his eyebrows. Good Lord. <laughs> uh, no, I absolutely love the mornings. It's so quiet and it's peaceful. And I remember Hugh talking about just just think about one thing and usually it's just following the black shadow in front of me my dog so uh, <laughs> yeah I really love having that downtime and I think that's something which everyone hopefully can benefit from so I love pushing active April and getting people moving so the fun run and it's just a common purpose with the fun runners you two now you go out there and no one running along gives you a frown you know everyone's <laughs> really encouraging and you know you're all out there with the same purpose participating it's just the best I reckon yeah definitely yeah. and you're also involved in the sustainability progress that we're making here at the moment can you tell our listeners about some of the things you're working on there Look, I don't want to steal too much of it's. It's sort of a push from the business and the corporate responsibility. So probably Sean, Dean, a few few others have really led from the top, if you like, and come down and ask me a lot of questions. And we've worked with Sean, and he's put together a lot of a lot of information and data. And 
we were doing some things which were which were pretty good, but as a business, especially on site in Millua, we, we've sort of discovered we can do a lot better, perhaps more holistically, and just challenge what we usually do. So it's good to have an sort of overarching umbrella look at sort of how we deal with waste and recycling here. I think that's going to be really good for our for our part. We sort of been pushing a lot more. I guess, onus back on suppliers for obsolete bottles and cartons and things like that to take them back instead of us throwing them in the recycling and paying for them. They can take them back and recycle them and reuse them again. So they've been really good in that sort of effort. We're looking at sort of, I think Andy Carr might be looking at some stretch wrap, which is biodegradable, things like that. Um, we, we'll trial things like that, and that, that comes from other parts of the business. I think Matt James might have come up with that idea. So, look, we're happy to trial anything. I certainly think when we're in the new facility, we'll really be able to push a little bit extra, and hopefully we don't pay for our waste so much as we just recycle a hell of a lot more, really separate the waste and just recycle. We'd love to be you know, carbon neutral and not have to pay for anything if possible. Yeah. So we've heard quite a bit about your fur family member, the dog, can you tell us a bit about the rest of your family? My wife, Marnie. I've got two kids, Ella, 17, and Henry, 15. They're unreal. Marnie's just a, been a terrific support in sort of all my working career and, you know, just a, a great companion for me. She's a, an awesome, awesome mum. Things don't always go the way we plan with a lot of things. So just, just to have that sort of rock with you has been sort of super. Ella is just an incredibly intelligent and capable students so she's really a hard worker which is great to see it's really wonder how things go with COVID and homeschooling but she's such a um, self-driver it's just fantastic to see and Henry just living the dream being a student at home and playing as much PlayStation as he can at the moment so <laughs> they, they've, they've probably suffered a little along the way um, without that sort of social interaction and classroom activity but other than that they're, they're great kids they've Probably about a year ago we noticed that they've become much smarter than us and started hanging uh, crap on us and uh, <laughs> I, I find that hilarious. My wife, Marnie, doesn't always but <laughs> oh, I think it's funny, you know, they're just, they've ribbed it, ribbed me many times and I, I sort of walk away going, oh, I think he's just <laughs> some crap on me. <laughs> <laughs> just, <laughs> just got a clip. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, I, I think that's funny. But, um, yeah, but they're, they're great kids. I absolutely love coming home and spending time with them on the weekends. And, yeah, I, I get a lot out of it, yeah. How old are they, Kelly? Yeah, sorry, Ella's 17, so, yeah, we're about to be 17 in a couple of weeks, and Henry's 15, so... So, year 11? Uh, year 11, Ella, year 9, Henry. And the dog? Oh, yes, oh, yeah. I thought you glossed over him a bit too quick. Uh, <laughs> Lewis, the residential Kelpie, as we call him, is, is a real suburban Kelpie. He, he gets a lot of walks uh, morning at night, but he's, well... He's unreal, KB, as you know. I, I just absolutely love Louie. He's a great companion. I've never really had a dog. We've always had dogs, but I've never sort of, when I say I, me and Money have never had a dog together and the family's never had a, a dog from, from puppy, I suppose. We got him from the pound. He was from a litter of five from up at Edoiapa. They all went pretty quick and a woman from Melbourne was supposed to pick him up and he was barking and we they said, oh, look, we'll take your number at the at the pound and just in case we'll give you a call and wow everything worked out and we we're able to pick him up and he's just the most intelligent dog i think he he pooped inside once and he now he just sort of stands at the door and bangs the curtain with his head and looks at you and off you go let him out and things like that he's just he's just great he's yeah i absolutely love him i get home from work and he he walks he fronts me and checks out what i'm wearing and as i'm getting changed he Checks to see if I've got the walking shoes and the <laughs> the trackies on, and he, he gets more excited as we go. And yeah, he, he just smiles, and I just love to see him running and smiling. 
you know, wouldn't it be nice just to be like that, just yeah. to be happy? Just to, all he wants to do is run, you know, and then he's happy. So I just think that's great. Fantastic. Yeah. You've told us a bit about your family life, your puppy Lewis. What else do you do to keep sort of mentally strong and for fun? Yeah, I'm, look, I love home brewing. That's sort of been my passion for a long time, but um, it's only recently that um, a few of the ops team have taken it up again and they've sort of outstripped whatever however good a homebrew I used to be. So I've stepped up my game a little bit and the homebrew has really been pretty pretty good, exceptional. So, yeah, I like to do some homebrewing on the weekends. I love love to garden. I've made some massive uh, hugel culture veggie garden beds, raised garden beds, so I'm looking forward to how they go this year. I drive the family to the far ends of the house Friday or Saturday night after a few homebrews. I get, I get the guitar out, Harry, and I attempt to sing too. So <laughs> Spread the crowd. The, 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 the neighbours <laughs> don't talk to anymore and things like that. No, no, I do, I do love that sort of stuff. You've got to remember when we grew up, you, you went to a barbecue, you, you know, you, a lot of people, or you went to someone's house, a lot of people have guitars and things around the place. So we were always playing guitar or instruments or having a bit of a laugh that way. So I still do that. Yeah, I love listening to music, occasional audio book and things like that. Yeah, all, always busy though. Love to just keep going. The homebrews yeah. that you're making, you said the Opts team are pretty good at uh, making a few brews. Do you have like a competition every year? Or? They, we've been having a tasting actually recently. There's some real, you know, overachievers. I'll, I'll drop Michael Kirschler into it. He's, he's got the full setup and I think Aaron and uh, both Mark Smith of and Aaron Hoare have also done the Brewing from scratch, if you like. They're not quite out there with the sides getting the, the wheat and barley out of the fields, but they're uh, they're mashing and doing all those things from scratch, which is you know definitely a step away from me. But it's just <laughs> absolutely beautiful beer. You don't get a headache, and yeah, you can really sip away. And yeah, I think fantastic. it was about a year ago things got serious, and the homebrews got brought into the winery for professional a professional taste off. Yeah, yeah, and and that's sort of been going. Less less often KB, but yeah, I think the quality's actually gone through the roof. Yeah, it's been really good. So I feel we need to get, grow this. I've got <laughs> I've got a little home brew that it's called oh. the Thirsty Cat Pale Ale. Oh wow! So I'll have to bring a bit of Thirsty Cat in for you. Yeah, I've got an atomic pale ale I've been given to try, and I'm really looking forward to that. I, I really love those, you know, really aromatic beers. I just think they're beautiful pale ales, and the days of I know most of my brother's friends and they still drink the Carlton Draft and the VB, but good Lord, <laughs> it's a lot better beer than that, I can tell you. So, yeah, I love it. I've got a credit card and Dan Murphy's about a five-minute walk away, so <laughs> <laughs> no homebrews at my place yet. <laughs> Takes so much longer to get that homebrew. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Brown Family Wine Group. We love our fruity wines. We have Australia's number one white wine in Brown Brothers Moscato, which remains a household favourite around the country. However, we know that less younger drinkers are entering into the fruity category due to changing palates, sugar concerns, and the lack of relevance and excitement in the category. Introducing Brown & Co, a drop of difference in the sea of same. It's a new wave of wine for a new wave of sippers. A range of wine appealing to today's new consumers with changing tastes, values and injecting fun and energy into the category. Our wines are completely Australian, consciously grown and containing less sugar. A little dry Moscato and a little sweet rosé are launching this October. Brown & Co, crafted by those who are brave enough to blend four generations of Brown family winemaking wisdom into something a little different. So for our regular listeners you know that we have a set group of questions that we ask our guests. Kelvin, do you have a funny travel story to share with us? 
Well, let, let me just lead in KB by saying I'm more of a local domestic traveller. I've, I've listened to some of these podcasts and it was probably, I probably shouldn't have, but of all these really well-travelled, amazing journeys and trips and I'm, I'm extremely envious, but I haven't done much of that myself. So local and travel, local travel stories only. A couple of years ago, Henry played soccer in the mornings on a Sunday. Uh, we had a, a big match in Lavington in Gelbert, Gelbert Park. Um, so Marnie and Ella were in Melbourne on this occasion. So I had the fatherly duties, which I'd never done. I usually just lob into the passenger side and Marnie organises a lot. Anyway, we uh, we were off that morning. We had to go about 9 o'clock up to Aubrey. So I was cajoling Henry all morning, you know, don't forget your shin guards, Henry. Don't forget this. Get your water. No, you'll need a you'll need a towel. You'll need this. You'll need that. Anyway, harassed him the whole way. Um, you know, he tends to sleep a little bit. He finally got him in the car and admonishing him and shaking me head at him. God, boy, can't you get organised? And Anyway, we, we, we were off. About 10 minutes out from Gelbert Park, of, uh, I'm driving along and I've got my foot perched up um, on the right-hand side of the steering wheel, very relaxed and confident I've got this. How hard is it? And I just noticed I only had a sock on. And, yeah, just a sinking feeling in my stomach. I left me... Uh, Shoes and sneakers at home. So, boys <laughs> lo- looked at me as only a fourteen-year-old. Does shook his head and goes, "You're an idiot." <laughs> so I had to ring ahead and ask one of the parents if they had some shoes. One of the boys let me a size nine, and I had to squeeze into it, it was a size eleven. So, absolutely freezing morning. So some of the parents had never let me forget that one, and certainly Marnie and Ella weren't too friendly on the text either. So that was pretty funny. <laughs> <laughs> I can just say, "How's your weekend with Dad?" <laughs> He forgot his shoes. Yeah. I, I, I remembered everything and he forgot his shoes. His nickname is now Shoesy. Oh, <laughs> I was just in him. It was, uh, it was pretty funny. Uh, another one, about eight or so years ago, I reckon now, so a long time ago, we took the kids up to Queensland, Marnie's sister's up there. So we thought we'd go to the theme parks and maybe go to Early Beach and a few other places. So we stopped in and saw Marnie's sister and brother, uh, brother-in-law, sorry, and we were off up to Early Beach and he said, do us a favour can you, I've got a new motorbike, I want to ride up to Ellie Beach and get a tattoo. I've got tattoos there before, I've got friends there. Do you mind booking it in? You're, up, you're going up to, the, to stay in the Big Four. I said, no problem, we can do that. So we, we took off to Ellie Beach the next day and we went to the Big Four, booked in anyway. We're walking along Ellie Beach there in the promenade and we found this tattoo parlour, myself and Ella, so Ella's about eight years old. You know, I've rocked in there in my finest colourful singlet and uh, holding Ella by the hand and I've made this booking at the tattoo shop, some sort of large mustachioed biker-type fellas with the big muscles and the big uh, covered in tattoos and sort of looking at me funny. And I, I walked out and I said to Marnie and Henry, I said, oh, geez, something's wrong with them. The customer service here is you know, terrible. They give me a hard, you know, not really very friendly. And Marnie looks at me, she goes, you're a 40-year-old man, you're bald, you've got no tattoos, you're wearing a pink Dora Explorer, Explorer backpack on and you're holding a little girl by the hand. So I said, oh, you yeah, know, that's fair enough. <laughs> so, so, yeah, I, you, you just do those sorts of things as a parent. It was just the tiniest little backpack sold me back to. <laughs> so that was another one. And probably favourite one, favourite travel story was just a weekend to Melbourne. We saw the Monet's Gardens exhibition was going to be at Victoria Art Gallery. So we thought oh, it wouldn't be great to go to there. So Marnie sort of hopped online and she's found a, a hotel in St Kilda which was offering, you know, stay the night and tickets for this Monet's garden which we all wanted to see which is great so it'd be great for the kids as well so we've done that we've gone down to stay at the hotel we've woke up the next day and I've put on as I do on holiday or 
pretty much any any time I can. I put on my absolute best tracksuit pants and my active wear to to be out um, with the kids for the day, and we've hightailed it off to the Vic Art Gallery. So Marnie's sort of looking at me as we're sort of waiting to get in. It's a bit of a cue again. She goes, "Not sure that you're going to get in. You know, your tracksuit pants. You know." I said, "Look, I've looked at her and gave her that uh, primary school teacher." Look, I said, "Marnie." The art crowd, they're, they're pretty diverse. You know, <laughs> I, I, I could be class as eccentric. I think I'll be okay. Anyway, sure enough, yeah, we got in and it was just, you know, the most amazing thing you've ever seen, these massive artworks. And, you know, me and Ella especially were sort of down on the floor looking up at all the different layers and textures and getting some funny looks from the security guards all the while, but that, that was okay. Um, so we, we've left there after a couple of hours and I had tickets to the football, afternoon football. I think it was Collingwood and the Bulldogs. So we've had a bit of lunch and we've we've tracked off to Collingwood and the Bulldogs. We're waiting in line there and we, we off we go. I think it was level three or four at uh, Docklands and it was for the Medallion Club. We got these tickets off a friend. So up to the Medallion Club and the security's there and they've all looked at me. Well, a couple of them looked at me and gone, uh, there's rules here at the Medallion Club for your dress code. I said, what do you mean? He said, uh, no tracksuit pants. And uh, they've looked me up and they said, and they're clearly tracksuit pants. So I've gone, oh, good Lord, we're at the footy. Surely you can have tracksuit pants. And I said, no, no. So I said to Marnie, look, I'll go back to the shops at uh, Spencer Street Station and I'll get to quickly get some pants and I'll be back. So I've, I've ran back to Spencer Street, come back in, got some jeans, sat down. I've gone, who would have thought that you can see Monet's <laughs> gardens at the art gallery and your tracksuit pants and you can't go <laughs> and, and see Collingwood and the bloody Bulldogs? <laughs> Yeah, so there be three stories. That's awesome. Like. <laughs> I love it that those three stories pretty much like tie into that sort of like no shoes, no tracksuit pants, no service. <laughs> <laughs> AFL's a cultured sport. Oh, there you go. <laughs> so talking about wine, do you remember the first wine you ever tried? I reckon as a young kid there was a celebration or a family dinner and there might have been a sparkling wine, possibly in one of those old sort of sauces that they used to have sparkling wine in. <laughs> and they called breast glasses or something? Uh, yeah, the Mary Antoinette, apparently sculpted on Mary Antoinette's breast. Oh, there you go. <laughs> oh, I didn't know that. There you, you go. You'll drink differently out of that <laughs> cup for next time. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, anyway, I, I saw, I've, saw, I've seen a fizzy drink uh, as a young boy. I guess I was eight or nine. I saw the fizzy drink and I saw all the adults drinking it. So when they were all turned away or perhaps I was singing happy birthday or something, I can't quite remember. I sculled that down. So, uh, you know, half a glass, I whipped that down. And, you know, if you can picture a, a young baby perhaps trying a lemon for the first time, my face screwed up and it was absolutely horrible. I got some fearful looks from father, but uh, that was probably the absolute first. Other than that, um, probably as a young teenager, I think someone also has referenced Fruity Alexia out of the cast. <laughs> <laughs> I think it was just more for the alcohol content than, than enjoying the wine, KB, but probably the first nice or good experience was, yeah, in, in bars where I've worked where, you know, you've had suppliers come in and, you know, do some tastings to help you sell the stuff out of bottle shops and things like that, so... You talked about the home brewing and the beer side of things. Do you have a favourite wine within our Brown Family Wine Group portfolio? Yeah, I'm going to sound like a suck here too. I just like them all. <laughs> I, um, I, I actually, I think they're all, you know, I look at them, it's such a broad range. It's like an occasion sort of thing for me. I, I can have a sparkling wine to celebrate a Friday or a Saturday with Marnie and it's just fantastic. You know, it's, it's all about who you're with and what you're doing with it. You know, maybe you're temp grass on a Sunday afternoon after a long weekend with some salamis and cheeses, you know, sparkling shiraz on the Christmas table. I, I think 
it's all about where you are and what you're doing and who you're sharing with, with which is sort of makes all the difference. So I really liked it. Like our portfolio is so broad. Like you can just find just about any one of our wines for any occasion. I know I've had friends before who've had a wine at our house and they said, oh, that, this wine is amazing, great, great. You know, can you get me some? I said, oh, could you six-pack? No problem, yeah. They've got the six-pack and they've taken it home and tried it probably by themselves or with someone else and they've come back and they said, it's, it's not the same. same. I said, it is absolutely the same wine. It's just, it's an occasional thing. It's a celebration. You know, it's, it, it's the mood you're in and how you enjoy it. Yeah. It's often the, the story that you get people that buy wine at the cellar door when they've had such a great experience and they get home and go, I think they've put a different vintage in here. <laughs> do you venture outside of our portfolio and have you tried or do you try many wines outside of our portfolio? Uh, no, no. Yeah. Uh, Good answer. No, I don't. Look, unless unless we're going to occasionally we'll, we might go up to the King Valley or something like that and have a little a sip on a weekend. But look, if I don't get the stuff that I know and love, I, I'd probably go to have a craft beer or something instead if, I, if we're out and about. Harry, I don't really buy any other wine. We don't drink a lot of wine and... As I said, when we've got a, such a diverse range, you know, it's what you know. If it's good, you just stick with it. Oh, Kelvin, thank you so much for coming on The Ferment today. It's been wonderful to learn a bit more about you, your family life, your job. And I know I look forward to a home brew with you soon. So, Andrew, I think... Very much so. Cheers to that. How, how much more does Kelvin look more relaxed now? <laughs> it took a while, don't we? Yeah. <laughs> Thanks very much, buddy. That was awesome. Thank you very much, guys. Cheers. How good was that, everyone? If you have any feedback for us at The Ferment, please send us an email, theferment at brownfwg.com.au. Also, don't forget to check out our Tasting Note podcast. Thanks for listening to The Ferment, everyone. Stay safe out there, chase hard, look out for each other.